Support for the Eyes Free Sports podcast is brought to you by Clusive. As a blind or visually impaired athlete, you know how important training is. With Clusive, you can take training on assistive technology, occupational, and career skills all online to help you reach your employment goals. Learn more at www.clusive.io. That's www.clusive.io. Howdy, howdy, and thanks for tuning in to episode 95 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. As usual, this is Greg Lindbergh, your host here with you on the podcast. Here on this episode of Eyes Free Sports, we are looking back at the 2023 National Beat Baseball Association World Series, which wrapped up uh, just a few weeks ago in Norman, Oklahoma. And to do so, we are welcoming back two guests uh, we've had on the podcast who are both longtime members of the beat baseball community, including a very recent inductee into the National Beat Baseball Association Hall of Fame. So let's go ahead and get swinging now into episode 95. All right, so joining me on this episode, I have two awesome guests from the beat baseball community. And uh, let's, let's start off with uh, Neil Dog. He goes by Neil Dog, uh, Neil McDonald. Welcome back to Eyes Free Sports. Two, two. You got a special guest and somebody else I was just able to bring along, Greg. <laughs> no, thank you thank you for having us man i appreciate it you know i'm a fan of what you do at this podcast so thanks for having me back awesome appreciate you coming back and i uh, should mention neil dog is a very recent uh, inductee into the national beat baseball association hall of fame which we'll get into here on this episode so congrats on that thank you very and much. then uh, we also have demetris morrow uh, aka demo a member of the Gateway Archers, as well as an NBBA board member. Demo, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Greg. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's good to be back. Great World Series we just had. So looking forward to this conversation with you today. Awesome. Same here. And uh, so like I mentioned in the intro, we are going to be discussing mostly the 2023 NBBA uh, World Series and just kind of the, the 2023 season in general. And uh, also just kind of the current state of, of beat baseball and some cool things on that. So why don't we kick things off here uh, with Neil Dog here. And if you just want to go down the rankings, the, the finishes, you know, of, of each team in this year's World Series. All right. Absolutely. You got it. Just uh, for your audience, uh, I guess, knowledge ahead of time. The beat baseball World Series is a five-day tournament. It's a double elimination tournament, and this year we had 19 teams participating in crazy heat, and we'll, we'll talk about that more as it, as it goes on, but in Norman, Oklahoma, we, we were surpassing the heat index, and games were getting postponed and, and shut down, and it, it was wild. When, when you got 19 teams that only get those five days to determine the championship. Uh, uh, weather interrupting and all that stuff just makes it a st stressful job, but everybody pulled it off. And here, Greg, is how it turned out. Once again, the Indy Edge for their second year in a row um, ran the table, went seven and zero, winning their second straight championship. The road was a little 
tighter for that last year. They rolled every over everybody for the most part, but this time they really had to work for it. Um, but they did earn that second championship. The San Antonio Jets once again were our runner-up team, going seven and two. Both of their losses coming to the Indy Edge. The Indy Thunder jumped up, having finished sixth last year. They went seven and two, taking third place this year, returning to our MBBA's top three. The Philly Fire for a second year in a row finished fourth with a six and two record. And that's the way the preseason rankings came out exactly. Uh, the rankings that came from all the teams. Um, they, they had these teams ranked one through four, just like that. Um, this is where it started to change. The Boston Renegades went six and three, and they finished fifth, uh, which they finished fifth last year, Demo. But uh, the preseason rankings had them ninth, if I remember right, and they yeah. were none too happy about that. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. As a matter of fact, they finished fifth since 2019. It's so like five years in a row. They've been fifth. And, uh, I lost yeah, track of that. It felt a little slighted yeah. going into the road series, but I mean, I'm not a fifth. They can pump their chest on that. I, I mean, you're you know you're the chair of the rankings committee, and I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't because of the summer they had. They they weren't overly impressive this summer I in, mean, in tournaments they played in. Yeah, for for me, it was it was the same with the Edge and Boston going into the. World yeah. Series. They both yeah. look vulnerable. They both look like they could be had, but I mean, they both prove that, you know, they are what they are. Yeah, no, I mean, their head coach, Rob Wiseman's like, man, I, I, I know I, I saw him write at least one comment that, you know, we're bringing back the same team that finished fifth. They had, they added Christian Thatch. Yeah. So he was on the money. They, yeah. they were right. They finished right there again. Uh, the Value City uh, Heat. Uh, moved up two spots from last year. They finished eighth last year, and they fit, got sixth this year, which is, I guess, right in where most of us had them, fifth or sixth. Um, so they were right on par. They shouldn't be there. And then, but we'll talk about that later. They should. They should not be there. All right. But, yeah. All right. All right. The New Jersey Titans finished four and three. That that put them at seventh, which I I, I think was a good finish for them. Um, I expected them to be a little bit better over the summer, and I was concerned <laughs> their finish coming in. But I think seventh is a good for for having they they weren't there last year, Greg. Um, uh, they hadn't participated since twenty twenty one. So I personally thought seventh was a good good finish for them. Definitely a good show for the Titans. The Houston Hurricanes was like for me one of the big surprise. They finished eighth. They went three and five, but they they finished eighth, which is I think a three step jump. Then were they eleventh last year? Uh, yeah, they part? were eleventh last year, and they they came into this one twelve. I thought they came in eleventh. No, they were they finished eleventh last year and they came in twelve. But you know how they you know you know how they got eighth with the eight or the three and five record. You beat you beat the five seed on Wednesday. Um, they upset Bayou City on Wednesday, and oh right, right that that gave them the five seed. All right, um, the Gateway Archers jumping up to nine from thirteen. I have to assume from a Archer that's still disappointing for you guys. For sure, for sure, we definitely came in with higher aspirations than finishing ninth. Um, you know, you guys talked about the heat and how it messed with the games. You know, B ball was played with six innings. There's no time limit. 
because of the heat and having to juggle things around, we had to play with a two hour and 15 minute time limit. And if you were at this tournament, games were routinely going you know, three, three and a half hours because of, you know, the fields and how offensive it was this year. And when you put a two hour and 15 minute time limit on a game and there's no like stop, stop clock, it's just on people's mind. And you got guaranteed five minute breaks that aren't five minutes. And you got, you know, you know, just a bunch yeah. of different stuff. It became not beat ball. And then people started being able to use the clock to their advantage. And so, yeah, yeah I feel it. I don't know if you were aware of this, Greg, because uh, I know you injured your shoulder this year and you weren't able to play with your, your Braille Bandits. Uh, but in addition to the two-hour and 15-minute um, time limit they put on the games because they're you know worried about getting the tournament finished, uh, which I understand, but also after every two innings, they had to take a five-minute um hydration break which is cool but they included that as part of the time limit the two hour and 15 uh minute time limit so uh, oh geez yeah teams teams definitely got some feelings about all these things there's gonna be a lot of conversation this offseason no doubt big change yep 10th was a, a good finish, I think, for the Tyler Tigers. They went 2-5, and five, but they finished 10th. I, I personally, uh, because they lost a, a couple of their top players from last year, Stanley Griffin, uh, Griffith, and uh, is it Griffin? Griffin. Griffin. Uh, yeah, and Christian uh, 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 Keeley. Christian Keeley, a left-handed hitter that that played really well for the Tigers last year. Both of them went back to their Cleveland scrappers, um, but still the Tigers, I thought, uh, 10th place, so a really good finish for them. Yeah, we got to play them twice. Um, They really gave us a challenge in that first game. Um, I know Greg Roberts took over some captain and coaching duties for them this year and made some changes, and... uh, it worked out. They finished it last year and came back and got 10th again. <laughs> I was hanging out with our boy Greg Roberts at the midnight game. And when he told me he designed their defense, I was like, oh, Lord, they're in trouble. <laughs> My boy Greg decided defenses. <laughs> Greg, here's, the, I think, maybe the biggest uh, surprise overall. The Austin Blackhawks finished uh, 11th going 4-4. Four and four. I don't. The Austin Blackhawks have not missed a tournament since 1987. I don't believe they've ever finished outside the top 10. I don't know that that's true, but I don't believe they've ever finished outside the top 10. Not since Um, since I've been playing, and I've been playing 21 years now. So, Yeah, no, I'm I'm positive. I mean, they finish eighth. It's like, wow, Austin's, you know, slowing down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a tough year for them, but they—they they, uh, Molly uh, Fleming, their pitcher, had never—you know—she she's pitched before in tournaments. We had like three pitchers that I know of that were pitching full time for the first time, and Molly Fleming uh, was one of them. And I, I think just like players, Greg, have to learn how to, if especially if you play three, four days into it, the five day tournament, you have to learn like how your body's got to respond to it. And I think pitchers going sure. through it for the first time uh, kind of go through the same transition. The Chicago Comets, another one that I mean, they've they've finished probably down this low before, but rarely, very rarely. And they certainly, when they came out ranked, I don't know, in that eight nine area, I guess ninth was their pre tournament ranking. Eighth. They were eighth. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Boston was ninth. I, I had them the other way in my own personal ranking. Um. 
but they they went three and five, finished twelve. They're another team. They're they're they weren't happy with where they were ranked, but they, they ended up falling back from there. For for the Cleveland them, scrappers, go ahead. I, no, I was gonna say for them, it was like the Boston thing. Like the last, I think like three four years in a row, they had finished seven, and yeah. every every year they were getting ranked below where they finished. So they have a real yeah. problem with the ranking system the way it is. But yeah, yeah. dropping down to twelfth, that yeah. That was a big one. Unless a team, unless a team gets ranked higher than what they were expecting <laughs> to be ranked, yeah. they're, they're not. They're yeah. not the Cleveland Scrappers, Greg. Uh, this year was their 40th anniversary of existence. Um, they haven't, even though they've been playing in the the Bolingbroke uh, Beatball Bash each year outside of Chicago, they have not been going to the World Series as often. But they return this year um, for the 40th anniversary. And they finished 13, going four and four. Their team is another one, Nathan Wigand. Their their pitcher has pitched before at the World Series, but I believe this is his first time of having a team to himself. Um, so I believe he was going through those growing pains too. But man, Nathan Wigand's like uh, 18 years old. I was around his parents back when he was born. And uh, I enjoyed getting to watch him uh, pitch for a game. And I, I was impressed with how poised he was for a young man out there. Wow. And are they like the longest tenure team as far as, you know, same name and same organization? Um, yeah. Uh, although he, the Bayou City, Bayou City, he falls in that also because they didn't start a new team. They they went by the Houston Bombers originally and eventually changed their name to the Bayou City Heat. But it was the same organization. They just changed their franchise name. So... I would say they um, maybe go back a little bit. I, I'm not sure which one goes further back, um, but definitely uh, they're they're both right in there. Um, but each of them have missed tournament. I think the only one the Heat ever missed was when the, the World Series was in Taiwan in 2000. Other than that, they've been at every tournament. Uh, but it's still, I think Austin, the Austin Blackhawks from '87 until present is the longest run of not missing a tournament. Gotcha. The Atlanta Chaos went four and five, took 14th. That's right, roughly where people had them. Uh, the Oklahoma Lookouts, uh, our other rookie team, along with the Sirens, they went three and five, finished 15th. Um, I thought they they had the the makings to finish a little bit higher, um, but the the rankings <laughs> came out had them lower, and the rankings uh, were more accurate than I was. What did you did you expect a little higher out of them, Dima? Or did you uh, feel like this? I think on my personal rankings, I had them in that fourteen fifteen range. The Minnesota Millers uh, falling back to to sixteenth. It's a little bit behind where they finished last year, I think, but they've that's uh, kind of where they've been at the last since since we came back from like the the year that was missed from COVID. Um, I feel like Minnesota's one of the teams like that missing that one year that hasn't bounced back as well as some of the other teams. But they they also had a new pitcher this year. Oh, First that's time. an excellent yeah. point. Yeah. yeah, good call. Good call. I'd forgotten about that. They, too, Greg, had a rookie pitcher, and he had no World Series experience. Compared to our other three who all had some experience, uh, this dude has no previous experience. So, and wow. that, that's that, tough. Yeah, that puts a team up against it right from the get. 
myself, Gabriel Valley Panthers from Southern California. Uh, they went one and five last year. They went zero and six. So picking up their first World Series win was uh, good for them. That you know, still working on coming up, but they, they had a little bit better showing. Hey, when they popped that Your... champagne on that first one, though. Say that again. I said when they popped that champagne on that first one, though. <laughs> you got to <laughs> first one. Everybody's got to enjoy that first one. Your Braille Bandits of Palm Beach County, Gregory, went one and six, finished 18th. You have any excuses for your squad, young man? I wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, that's a good excuse. <laughs> How are you healing up, by the way? You dislocated your shoulder, right? Earlier in the yeah. season against Atlanta? Back in May. That's right. Yep. So I'm, I'm getting there. It's been about three months now and still getting physical therapy, but coming along. It's slower than I thought it would be. Because I didn't have any kind of tear or, you know, thank God, no fracture or anything. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's a process. This is kind of my first major injury I've ever had. So I didn't know you hurt your shoulder. So you got to be patient. Was that a... What's that? Say, I was just, I didn't know you hurt your shoulder. Was it, was it on uh, running the base or defense? Yeah, running the first base. Always. And I kind of hit, ran into first base, pushed it to the right, and then just fell right on my left side. Most dangerous part of our game. Hitting that bag because you don't yeah. know how, you don't know where that ground is coming at. Exactly. Yep. It's both, oof. Both, both Juan <laughs> Gonzalez and I uh, have dislocated. Uh, Juan's from the Chicago Commons. He dislocated his shoulder last year on defense. And I, when I dislocated my shoulder in the '94 World Series, I did it on defense. Um, but I, I totally agree. Despite that, I totally agree with what Demo said. The the most dangerous part of our game is. Not running the base, hitting the base. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Coming through the other side without any damage being done to your to your body. Exactly. It's just one of those kind of oddities of the game, you know, that, that we all face and you gotta try and land as best you can. Are you a guide dog user? Am I right? Yeah, I am. Uh, this uh this kid Melshon, do you know him from Atlanta? The Atlanta uh, Yeah. Oh yeah. I played with him on the bombers one year. This was the third year in a row he's dislocated a shoulder during the, the tournament. He hasn't been able to finish a tournament yet. And this year, he because it was Society Works His Dog, he had to have the school come get his dog straight from the World Series because he couldn't work his guide dog, man. Oh, wow. Oh, dang. Injuries, wow, you don't reach hear. Out to him. Injury, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give him some love from me, man. Injuries that you don't see in other sports. You are <laughs> effects. <laughs> Effects, like, yeah, speaking of dogs. <laughs> he said, yeah, man, that ain't, that ain't right, yo. <laughs> our, our, our last one were my St. Louis Sirens. They went 0-6. This was their, their first year. Their pitcher, Mari Blumenthal, is another one who has uh, experience pitching with um, the, the Archers. But um, this was her first year. And, and she she had a whole squad of first-year players, really, for the most part. Like, the, everybody on their roster except for one qualified for for Rookie of the Year or whatever. So, um, you know, when you when you start out with a team that, that has literally next to no experience, it's an uphill battle. But I, uh, I got tight with these sirens over the summer, and I'm a big, big fan of their projects. Uh, I was proud that they got out there and – um, put up, put up their fight. They're the first ever, Greg, our, our sport, the, the beat baseball world series. First one ever was in 1976. 
It's been a co-ed sport ever since the beginning, but this is the first time ever in the history of the league that there was an all-female team that made it to the World Series. So that alone, you know, they, they've got to build up the program, and I, I hope they're going to let me help them a little bit. But uh, just, just getting there was a huge accomplishment to do it for the first time. I, w- I want to say something to that. As a NBA board member, having played with, like Neil said, you know, Mari and her mom and, you know, they come from the, from the Archers. So having played with them previously and seeing what they did this year to get this off the ground. And I know you called it a project, Neil, but I wouldn't even call it a project. Like this is a team. This is an organization. They're going to grow it. Um, I'm so proud of them for coming out and doing what they did. And, you know, that's what they wanted to do. They put their mind to it and they got it done. And this is the first all women's team to compete at the world series and they're not going anywhere. So for any of those women out there who, you know, want to be a part of it, you better start reaching out now because it's only going to get bigger and bigger. Just look up sirens beat ball on, on uh, Facebook and they'll be easy to find. They, they're one of the best teams at publicizing what they and their players are doing. And I, I'm not, whatever way I said project, I'm with you a hundred percent. I didn't mean it in any way that, like it was a one-time accomplishment. This is the beginning of something. This isn't. This wasn't the the end result. This this is the beginning of something. So I'm glad you're on board with it too. Thank you for the, that support on their behalf. You ready for the awards uh, that they were handed out on Saturday night, Greg? To wrap this up, this part. Sure, sure. Go for it. So I'll start out with our offensive all-star team. Cody Jeffries from the Indy Thunder. He used to play with the Chaos, played with the Thunder, and Jared Woodard for the first time and came through as well as anybody could have come through for them. Had a huge year. You might remember David Smith from uh, last year. He shared the – he was co-MVP, had the second-best average. Tanner Gears from the Value City Heat. It's the seventh – Seventh time overall making the offensive all-star team, but he hadn't done it in like seven years. So Tan, the, the Tan Tan man makes his return to the offensive all-tournament team. Gerald Dykus, who from the Indy Thunder, is always on the offensive all-tournament team, has his spot just sitting there uh, once again. <laughs> Casey Krause from the Philly Fire. Last year was his rookie of the year. He was the defensive rookie of the year, and he made the defensive all-tournament team last year as a rookie, uh, makes the offensive all-tournament team this year. His teammate, Justin Rhines from the Fire, um, finishes with the sixth best average, which was tied with um, Ron, right? Ronald, yeah, Ronald Jordan. (laughs) I almost called him Rob. Ronald Jordan from the Tyler Tigers, who's, Always been known, Greg, as like a real, real good power hitter, but I was, I was proud to see him up there uh, with one of the best averages also. That's your offensive all-tournament team. Defensively, Eric Rodriguez, who I know has been on your show with you before, Greg, once again, racking up another defensive MVP. He averaged yeah. six point, over 6.4 putouts a game, which is nearly two better than like second best on the team. A, a really good, impressive year. All right, Zach Arabula at 4.89, so I guess about a put out and a half was the difference. But big Zach, always up there on the defensive team. 
always up there really on both sides. He he's literally he and Eric Rodriguez are the best. You want to know the crazy like, two white players? I think what's that? the crazy part about Zach is he just started playing that short position in 2021, and he's made the defensive All Star team ever since then. Like he, he's wow. brand he's brand new at that spot. I've just been assuming he's been locking that no, down. But nope. now that you mentioned, he, like he started in the back, he started as a DH. He he got his shot up front, and man, he has not let it go. Like even to the point yeah. last year, you you might know because you talked about it. Like they were kind of moving around their defense, and they, you know they had a little meat over there, and I think they had Zach in the back or something. But yeah, you're right. Then they moved, went back to the defense with Zach up front, and they took off again. Now, uh, little little Ricky and Zach up front for them, like that's as good of a two player front as anybody has out there. I think. There are other good ones, especially the edge. But I, I feel like the Jets have his and with Axe, like in the mid left. Yeah, like that, that's a really that's a strong, strong front. Casey Krause also, Greg made the defensive all tournament team. So this kid in his second season ever makes the all tournament team on both offense and defense. He's, you know, we're talking about how crazy things are with Zach. This kid, Casey Krause, is on his way to the Hall of Fame, man. <laughs> That's incredible. I definitely got to interview him at some point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd be happy to try to help you hook that up. His dad is their pitcher, Pat Krause, and this was his second oh, year. Wow. And both years they finished fourth. So the, the whole story, like, uh, you know, the whole story is good. Yeah. Randy Randy George from the New Jersey Titans. Uh, he was with the Bali City Heat last year, but he makes his return home to the Titans, and uh, he makes the defensive all-tournament team. Our boy Asablo, Ethan Johnston from the Gateway Archers, returns to the defensive all-tournament team. With Ethan, it's similar to uh, to Tanner. It's been a while since Ethan made a defensive all-star team, and he bounced back this year and um, made it for um, to add to his soon-to-be Hall of Fame credentials. That was one of the people that finally got a chance to shake their hand, Greg. He, he, he'd kill me if I didn't. Total know. honor. He killed me if I didn't correct you. It's Subalu. Man, I've been saying it, been saying it wrong all this time. Why, why didn't anybody correct me like three years ago? Man, embarrassing. Yeah, I got to listen, so. listen back to the, the interview I had with him to confirm that. <laughs> I don't care. I don't say anybody's name right. I'm as, I'm as white as white gets. I don't say names. I don't say different names correctly. That's why you, that's why you just take, just call me Ethan or E. <laughs> Yeah, right. I'm Much just trying easier. to be all cool and special, and I'm just making a fool out myself. <laughs> Stanley Griffin from the Cleveland Scrappers was our final spot on the all-defensive uh, team. The pitcher and catcher award went to Jared Woodard and Daryl Booker, uh, Daryl Darnell Booker of the Indy Thunder. The spotters award is. Demo mentioned earlier went to the San Antonio Jets, Rose Garcia and Pat Perez, Catherine Perez. Uh, male Rookie of the Year went to Mark Ivey from the Oklahoma Lookouts. He, he hit like 680. He almost made the, the all-tournament team himself. He had a really good year. Female rookie, rookie of the Year went to Caitlin Overshiner of the Sirens. She also was the, the winner of the fastest uh, runner contest for the female side. Um, at the uh, at the opening ceremonies, sportsmanship award went to the San Antonio Jets. Uh, I, there are a few reasons I think this is cool. Normally, 
the sportsmanship sportsman I can't talk anymore. Sportsmanship goes to a team that finishes like towards the bottom, but they had a ton of spirit, so everybody still appreciated them. So an, a number two team uh, getting sportsmanship is cool. But I also they're they're like one of those teams. They're just always rooting on their players. They got songs they sing and sayings they do. It's just they they do have a lot of fun on the sideline. So I, I don't know. And, and, them getting, sport, them, getting, them getting a sportsmanship award is like the opposite of jet life. So I got to talk to them boys about that. Now I can dig that. When we were the West Coast Dogs, the last thing we wanted was a sportsmanship award. <laughs> took away from our edge. <laughs> the Jim Quinn Award went to uh, Leah Michaels from the uh, Indy Edge. And I, I know she's deserving. She's, she's one of those team moms that does – Everything for her team. There, every team probably has somebody deserving of the Jim Quinn, Jim Quinn Award, but I know she uh, was deserving. And I believe uh, you knew Roger Keeney, right? Um, Greg, rest in peace. Yeah, I did play for the Athens Timberwolves for him one year. Uh, he, uh, for those that don't know, we lost Roger in the last year or so, but uh, he was a great ambassador for the game. And he also was an award awarded a Jim Quinn award. I wish he would have received it. I think uh, when he was alive, because I know it would have meant a lot to him, but I'm having uh, known him. I'm, I'm very happy to see him get it. Got to give people their flowers when they're here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I just wanted to say in the brief interactions I had with him, just such a great guy, such a historian about beast, beat baseball, uh, really inspired me in many ways. And I know he played in the first series, I believe, in 76. So I, a long time, long time member of the community. My my very first tournament was the 1987 tournament in Ithaca, and he was living there then. He had a lot to do with bringing that tournament to um, Ithaca, New York. Um, so I, and like, he would disappear for years at a time and like, he would just show up at a board meeting cause I was on the board for most of the nineties and 2000s, <laughs> but, uh, uh, he would just show up. Like I wouldn't see him for four or five years and I'd find out all this stuff he was still doing for people in the background, you know, teaching people and just promoting the game. Like he was always a great ambassador for the game. So rest in peace, Roger. Absolutely. Um, just wrap it up with the Hall of Fame. So we had a pretty large class from 2022, Greg, and not everybody made it. Um, two of them were Bobby Lakey and John Kibido. Uh, both uh, played most of their careers. Well, Kibido all his career with the Heat and Lakey most of his career with the Heat. Uh, but they both went in. And then also Scott Hudson, who Finished his career with Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Bombers, when they were still a team, uh, but spent most of his career. He was one of the originals coming up with the Fort Worth uh, Roadrunners, playing with Frank Mathena and all those guys. Um, I, I had the chance to play with him for one year, so it was an honor to see Scott Hudson, Scooter, as he was known, go into the Hall of Fame. And our 2023 class included Dave Benny. And myself, as you you already mentioned, I, I'm not sure about myself, Greg. Like I, I think I'm best and borderline whether I should be in there. But I will give uh, Dave Benny his props. He's one of the best uh, front men that ever played uh, uh, defense and, and beat baseball. He's very deserving of that spot. I think no doubt. I think you're selling yeah. yourself short. I mean, I mean, I mean, people have wondered. If you're in the Hall of Fame, if people are wondering if you're in the Hall of Fame, then I think you're a Hall of Famer. I appreciate that very much. I uh, 
It's nothing I would ever say. Like I mentioned to you, Greg, last when I was on your show last year, that I was listed on uh, after 30 years, uh, the best 30 players of the first 30 years. And because I was on the board of directors, like I knew the criteria, they had a criteria. There were like four criteria you had to make, uh, or four, there were four criteria. You had to meet at least three of them to be considered for that list. And I met all four of them. So if I wasn't on that list, I would have broke out a can of what's up with that. <laughs> Cause I, I knew <laughs> that I should have been, um, just because of the criteria, no other reason, but, this isn't something I ever, it's something I've always wanted, but I never would have said it. And I still will never say I deserve it or whatever, but I appreciate it so much. Can't even really say. Sure. No, you're, you're definitely deserving, man. And just everything you've done in the last few years, you know, promoting the game with your show and everything. Uh, it's, it's an honor to be able to, to have you on, on this podcast, to have a Hall of Famer on. So congrats again. Thank you so much. And uh, Demo, I did want to ask you a little more just about your overall season and, and the World Series as well. With the Archers, uh, any moments that stood out to you? Any plays? Any games? Anything you want to mention? The next two years, the World Series will be, you know, in St. Louis, uh, not St. Louis, but St. Charles, Missouri, just outside of St. Louis. The Gateway Archers, parent company Mind's Eye, and their partner, St. Louis Lighthouse for the Blind, are bringing the World Series to the region the next two years but this year they hosted a regional to try to you know a little mini tournament to see how it's going to go work out all the kinks and um bringing that tournament and having the support that we had for that tournament and um when i say support um so we did a little jersey sell fundraiser type situation for our squad and i had a lot of family members purchase a lot of you know jerseys with my number on it and then they would put like they would ind individualize it with like auntie or uncle or like my mom did mom and dad my dad did dad and or my brothers oh, or cool. cousins you know just whatever and um tell them how many of those are in there <laughs> didn't like 20 or yeah, 30 I, of your family members join so, in on yeah I, I sold to my to my family i sold like 40 units so that was including like hats t-shirts wow. hoodies sweatshirts um 40 pieces of uh year and um so when we had the tournament we had um my dad and my uncle had this big like canopy tent and it's people were saying man it looks like your family has their own compound over there and they're all set <laughs> up and got chairs outside and chairs inside they got a generator <laughs> and they got their food they're, they're making a whole day out of it because they're out there all day with us and um we we have uh have a picture where I'm kneeling down on the ground and then they all have that back to me. So you can see the back of their shirts with my number. And like I said, however they put their name on it or whatever. And it's like 20, 30 of us out there. So that wow, was a, that's super neat. That was a, a big moment for me personally. That's crazy. Crazy cool for me. Like I've been around the game for 40 years and I, I've had great support. I've never experienced anything like that. that I love that story. Cool. And uh, so just moving on to a couple other things here. So I know we have talked about uh, the heat, uh, you know, weather-wise the heat this year and uh, how it impacted the games and the schedule at the World Series. And uh, Demo, just from a player's standpoint, uh, how would you say, you know, you were affected personally? Maybe your team was affected by the changes? Well, this is the first time that heat has ever 
played a part in the World Series. Like we always play in the summertime, so it's always hot. But this is the first time in league history where we had to stop playing because the city said it's too dangerous out here. Like you can't play ball right now between like three o'clock and eight o'clock. So the first day happened on Wednesday, you know, we couldn't scramble enough to probably do something better with the schedule than what we eventually do ended up doing. So Wednesday afternoon games, two thirty games got pushed back to six thirty in the morning, Thursday morning. And then every game after that on Thursday had a two hour and fifteen minute time limit. And then um the heat index was like one ten or something like that. So then we couldn't play on Thursday either at the two thirty time slot. So then games got pushed back to Thursday night. So um you know, teams are going back to the hotel for like six hours, coming back out, playing again. It was just something that we've never experienced, uh, an adjustment for everybody. Um, some things we learned, some things I know that we wish we could have done better. Um, but, you know, I think going forward, we'll be better prepared prepare for something like that if it ever happens again. With everything, it doesn't matter what what you're doing. You don't know what you don't know. Until you go through something for the first time, you don't know how to prepare for it next time. Yep. So true. Yeah. And I know just, you know, reading the People Nation Facebook group and the sense I got, obviously there were a lot of people kind of upset with the changes and frustrated. Uh, Would you guys in general say you think the league handled things, you know, pretty well? considering the circumstances I, I, I think considering the circumstances the league handled it as best as they could i think the frustration just came from it took our game from what we know it as as baseball you know you have your six we play six innings so you know you know you're going to get those six innings in and then when you put the time limit on it now people are playing with the clock and delaying the game for no apparent reason and it becomes you know something not beat ball now it's time management and, you know, just it was difficult for some people out there um, having it played out that way. A lot of people, you know, it's a double elimination tournament. This is the second day of the double elimination portion of the tournament. So, you know, games are getting bigger and bigger as the tournament goes on. And it was some unfortunate outcomes because of the time limits that I think if those games would have been played for fully six innings, you know, things might have looked differently. But Everybody was playing under the same circumstances. Yeah, I don't, um, as of yet, Greg, I don't really have like uh, an opinion on how it should have been done. I I, I, I care a lot about the, the league's leadership, and I hope at some point down the road, again, to be part of the league's leadership. But with that said, I don't know how I would have handled this because, again, it's like something that's being hit at the tournament for the first time. And I, I, if I was in, in leadership would have been caught probably just as off guard as, as they would. So I'm, I'm not going to judge harshly on, on what, what should have been done. Cause I don't know what I would have, what I would have done something the the players. Cause I know like uh, I, I've received some complaints about how they, they didn't have enough like volunteers ready to go. Like when you're, uh, Going into the tournament with a plan of playing games between eight and five, and all of a sudden you're playing games at six in the morning and nine o'clock at night. There's no way to prepare for that with volunteers. There, there's no way the league could have prepared for this stuff ahead of time. I don't believe. 
But again, I mean, I spent several years on the the tournament committee, and every time something like this happened, it's one more thing you add to the list of things you have to put on the checkbox. And so I, I do trust that, especially because I got leaders like like Demo involved, I, I uh, that that care about making it better. So I do trust that the league is going to add it to the checkbox, and it is something that will you know, be prepared for as much as possible going forward. But I, I don't have any harsh judgments on how how it was done so far. But I, I didn't have a dog in the fight. You know, Demo's out there playing on the field. By the time I got there Wednesday, the, the, the game was the two of the five days were over. So it didn't affect me the way it affected the players. Yeah, absolutely. Great perspectives. And I think kind of like you guys are both saying, it was a learning experience. There was no really historical evidence or process to go off of so you know i'm sure they'll reevaluate things and, and do their best to kind of tackle these situations in the future yeah. yeah so i did want to ask you guys about uh you know the indie edge obviously they repeated as champs second year in a row and uh do you think they're you know pretty much starting a dynasty here or what's your your take on that well they starting a dynasty i mean you can't say no i mean they got two in a row right now you can't say no, but if those Jets could ever get it done on Friday, just like it's going to be hard to beat the Edge twice on Saturday, it's going to be hard to beat the Jets on Saturday. So if the Jets can, you know, pull it off on the Friday in the undefeated game and get to Saturday undefeated, I think they might they could they would be the ones who could stop the dynasty from happening. Yeah, I mean they're 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 certainly on their way. I mean it it it's hard to do it year in and year out. Like they had a tougher time this year, excuse me, than they did last year because um, they they lost a couple of their their players and even though they they picked a few more up, I don't think they were as deep this year as they were last year. So it it was a tougher job this this year, but. As long as they have the starting lineup that they do, they I, I I believe they have the best lineup from one to six. They've got a good pitcher. They've got good spotters. They have a good organization. So they're going to have a chance to run things off, and especially that starting six I'm talking about. Not a single player is over the age of like 27, I don't think. Yeah. I don't know how old. I don't know how old all of them are, but they're in the perfect age group to run things off. But uh, one thing that I adopted, uh, some of my teammates did when when we were winning championships, Greg, is we'd rather be lucky than good sometimes because you, you need things to fall in place for you. Uh, you know, any major injuries, a, a player, you know, has something come up with their family, kids, they're not able to go for a tournament. Like, these little things pop up over time, you know, especially as the players get older and, and their lives develop outside of, beat baseball so i mean you need luck to to fall in your way to keep running off championships but i mean they, you can't bet against them they're, they're too good right now so and with, with with that being said some of their players are this is their seventh championship um or yeah. sixth championship or That's fifth right. championship in a row so all they know is championships so eventually it's like you know you know I don't want to say you get complacent with winning, but you know, every once in a while it happens. Like, what's what's the challenge? So, yeah, the, so. the challenge is the best word to throw there. Like, you know what I mean? At some point, like, you got to have something to focus on <laughs> without it being easy. Yeah. But you bring up a good point. Uh, Eric Rodriguez, Corey White, 
and Corey on white have all uh, won seven straight championships between the Thunder and the Edge. Um, Miguel Tello now has won six out of the last seven years, but the seven in a row, I, I don't think anybody's ever topped that. Um, the, the players that were on the Austin Blackhawks from 92 to 98 who participated in their seven in a row, uh, I know they were missing a player or two here and there during that run, so I don't know how many of them all got all seven championships. But I until now, when Eric and and both of the White brothers uh, have equaled it, I don't I don't think anybody had ever uh, out, outside of the Blackhawks had gotten seven championships in a row. Well, that might suck for the league next year because if their challenge is to get eight, <laughs> there's your motivation yeah, right yeah. there. Absolutely. You know, uh, Greg, too, I know we've probably gone on way longer than the, the time you normally have, but we had nine home runs. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's confirmed or unconfirmed, whether there's been more at this point, but nine home runs this year at our Beat Baseball World Series. Both David Smith and Christian Thaxton had three apiece. First time anybody's ever hit more than two. Justin Holland hit two last year. That was the first time we ever had two in the same World Series. And he did it in the same game, the championship game. Uh, but right, also, right. J- Justin Holland, uh, Corey White, and Dustin Youngren, who goes by White Lightning from the Chicago comments, also each uh, had a home run apiece. But that was uh, mm. that was uh, D. Smith. That was his fourth home run this year. He had one in bowling, bro. But, man, that... His team claims he had four during the World Series. There was <laughs> one, they feel... There's one more during the World Series. They feel like I've uh, gotten taken away from them. Yeah, but that uh, Dustin White Lightning, Youngin, him hitting home, yeah. him hitting the home run. I'm, I'm so happy for that kid. I'm so happy. I'm I was so happy not that expecting kid. that. He's been known, Greg, for his speed. Yeah, that's why they call him White Lightning. But now that's why you got to call him Thunder and Lightning because he's giving it to you, you know, both <laughs> ways. But I'm with, I'm with. Uh, I'm, I'm impressed for that kid. He he brags it up, and I did not believe he would deliver, but he came through. He had a really good year. <laughs> wow, pretty impressive stuff. Yeah. And uh, so I know we have talked about the Jets, the San Antonio Jets, some as well. And it seems like you know they're always in the mix at the end, but uh, you know, kind of come up short. Any any takes on that? I I think they uh, you know, it's. They're right there. They're knocking on the door. Like I said, they got to get it done on a Friday. They can't keep going into Saturday expecting to win two games with the caliber of teams that they're playing. Um, they're definitely, arguably, the one of the best teams in the history of this league. Um, I think they need some more depth. They went into this World Series with seven players. That's hard to do over five days. When you're playing in these kind of conditions with the heat and the fast fields and runs, it just going crazy um they can get some depth pieces help you know give that guys a couple of breaks here and there i think it'll help them out a lot but like i said they got to get it done on friday got to get it done on friday yeah and i i agree with everything uh demo said but uh, i don't think they ever go into it expecting to win two games on saturday i'm sure they would love to be the undefeated team yeah yeah for sure, for sure. It, just, it just hasn't <laughs> happened for them yet yeah. they were so close this year greg they they were ahead in the sixth inning both in the undefeated game on friday which but you know for for your audience but with the double elimination tournament by the time we get to the fourth day 
There's only two teams left that are undefeated. And for the last two years, those two teams have been, no, that's not true. Uh, But this year it was the Jets and the edge. Last year was the edge and the Blackhawks. And then the Jets beat the Blackhawks in the third place game. But the, the Jets and the edge were those last two teams. The Jets had them down in the sixth inning and just couldn't close it out, ended up losing that game by one run, and then the, the same thing happened in the championship game. They 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 had a lead in the sixth inning and just, just couldn't close it out, and Corey White for the second time in the last three years uh, walk, walked the game off. Uh, two years ago, he walked it off with a two-run home run, which is it's the most crazy, dramatic thing I think that's ever happened in our sport. Um, but he he brought the drama again this year and uh, had the, the the final run to give the edge their their championship. But the, the Jets are a great product. Uh, everything Demo said is right. They they could use some depth, but I, I'm so impressed that their lineup holds up each year. Um, despite they their their legs get more miles uh, on on them than any other team in the league, I think, because they play deep and and they have a, a short bench, and man, for them to show up ready and to answer the call, like I I just want to see them win a championship because they deserve it. They're they're a hardworking group and they're extremely talented. Having exactly having spent two years with those guys, I definitely want to see them burst that bubble and get that chip because, like Neil said, they do deserve it. In their pitcher, only in his second year, and he's a championship quality pitcher already. Yep, he was last year. He answered it as a rookie, and, and he's he was just as good this year, if not better. Yeah, and I got to say, in that championship game, listening to that this year, I was I was pulling for the Jets, and you know, I thought maybe they'll be able to hold on, and obviously couldn't. But uh, gotta get that hammer. It was a hell of a game, no matter what. Gotta get the hammer. Gotta be the home team. <laughs> You're the home team, you know, that's the answers right. to the test. You know how many runs you got to get to win. No doubt. No doubt. And then, so just one more thing on the World Series this year. Uh, so there was some pretty cool media coverage. And I know, you know, every other year, every year, whatever, uh, there seems to be, you know, whether it's one really nice story, big network, uh, whatnot, covering B baseball. Um, but FS1, uh, the cable, you know, sports network did run a really cool piece on their MLB pregame show. I do know that uh, NBC did a story on the St. Louis Sirens, the all-female team we talked about. And uh, just any thoughts on those particular stories and just kind of the importance of this media coverage in general for beat baseball? Uh, I think as far as the, uh, the piece done by Fox Sports, that, that was huge. Um, I don't think we've ever been on national media like that before, so... Having them do that and not just be regional to an area was it was huge for the game because two folks. One, how many people have come to the game later in their life saying, Man, I wish I'd have known about this sooner? And two, you know, there's a bunch of wealthy sided people out there who don't know about this game who could, you know, really help out this game by, you know, getting involved with it. Um so getting that awareness. We take wealthy blind folk too, though. Yeah, yeah. All wealthy yeah, folk all, already. All, wealthy <laughs> blind folks. Welcome. Yeah. Wealthy <laughs> blind folks too. Wealthy blind folks too. But yeah. Having that national coverage is huge for our game, that exposure. And and nothing, yeah. nothing, you know, not trying to poo-poo the, the regional stuff, but yeah. The, the NBC piece that the they did on the St. Louis Sirens, the first women's team in NBBA history, that's huge too. 
Yeah, all all the coverage is great. Um, just like something Demo said that grabbed me is just any opportunity for anybody, like be, beyond like anything that could help the league, but somebody blind like the three of us that might want to find a way to to play baseball for the first time in their life. I I've been thinking about it so much this summer. Um, with my learning that I was going to be inducted into the hall, like just how lucky I was with opportunity, like hitting me when it did. If, if I were the same Neil McDonald coming up in Sacramento today, my opportunity to play people would not be there. And I don't know how I'd learn about the sport. I mean, that's really why I think all of this, like the show you're doing, Greg, the show I do, we might not have huge audiences, but if it could lead one blind person to something that would fulfill their life the way Deepall has mine and Demos and so many other other people, man, it's worth it to me. And, and so when you get on NBC News and, and especially a story like that, now young blind women aren't just because when they show highlights, you, you usually just see the men out there playing. Now young blind women could say, man, want to be part of that in in fox sports like you know what i mean uh, any anywhere we could put a word out there and get this, some young blind person thinking man what else is out there for me i i, I love the opportunity sure sure very well said and like you said neil dog you know just making an impact on one person at the end of the day it's it's worth it you know it's because you've, you've touched somebody, you know, in a positive way. Because we could have been that one person, you know what I mean? At whatever point, other point in our life. And still can be for something else. So. Sure, sure, absolutely. So then looking ahead to 2024, uh, so I know you did mention Demo. Uh, the World Series is going to be in St. Charles, just outside of the St. Louis, Missouri area. And I'm curious, any inside scoop on uh, just the, the plans for the series? Uh potentially hitting up a Cardinals game, you know, during the series, before the series, uh, any, any interesting insight, insight you might have. Well, don't get them started on the <laughs> stupid Cardinals. <laughs> um, like I was saying, like earlier, we you know, ran a regional this year, weekend tournament to kind of, you know, work out the kinks of hosting a, a week-long tournament. And um, we definitely had a audio-described Cardinals game because that's a parent organization, Mind's Eye, that's what they're – services is they audio describe events and do a reading radio station for um, blind people in the area. Um, so they do Cardinals games. They do the new soccer F city, uh, CDFC, St. Louis CDFC uh, games, all of those. They do blues games. They do plays at the um, theater, you know, just events around the city for blind people to come out and enjoy. Um, so I'm sure We'll definitely be doing some of those throughout the week for all of our guests that we're going to host in our house next year. Um, St. Louis, like I said, the Mind's Eye and St. Louis Lighthouse for the Blind. We're going to put on a great tournament. We got great fields, um, got a good hotel, and there's a lot of things to do around the city that Mind's Eye has their hands in. So, yeah. And I, I hear that they're building some air conditioned domes so there'll be no heat <laughs> index issues uh, man, I, I wish i wish uh, but now we know what to do though now we will have plans in place that it will not be the first time the next time so yeah yeah that's right yo 
And I know you did mention Mind's Eye Demo. Always have to give Mind's Eye Radio a shout out. Uh, really appreciate them airing this podcast uh, for I think a good two plus years now. So super grateful for having that opportunity. I think they're gonna have to break this one in half. <laughs> <laughs> a two-parter. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> And then, so just kind of in general, looking ahead to 2024, I know it's still pretty early, just coming off the, the series here, but any predictions, anything you guys uh, want to mention on that front? I predict that the Archers will do better than what they did this year. And I predict that the Jets are going to get it done. That's my prediction. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm not. I'm not going to be so bold, Gregory. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I do feel like our top four is our top four. I think these same four teams are going to be battling for the top four spots next year. Um, there are teams like the Heat and, and and the Archers that I still believe in their talent and think they could do better than what what they've been showing us, but. Um, right now, I feel like our our top four is really, really pretty close together. It's more more so than what the league has seen in in quite a few years. I mean, there are times the Thunder were quite a few notches ahead of everybody else. Sometimes the Thunder and the Jets were notches above everybody else last year. You know, the Eds really were in their own class. The the Jets were uh, second tier and everybody fell behind. But right now, I, I think the Jets, the Thunder, the Edge, and the Fire, they're, 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 it's going to be a dogfight between them. Definitely a lot of fascinating uh, things coming down the pike here, I think. Pretty exciting. We haven't seen the offseason yet, so all these predictions yeah, might right? not mean anything <laughs> in October. Right? Over the last couple of years, the offseason has been wild in the NBA, so a lot of player movement. So it's always good to see who's going where. It does change the landscape, though, so we'll yeah, see. Almost, we'll see. almost like the, the NFL offseason you know, has become equally as important as the regular season. So <laughs> yep. we'll see what happens for sure. And then, uh, so Neil Dog, I did want to give you a chance to promote your show, uh, the Beatball Blues show, for anyone who's not familiar. I appreciate that very much. We uh, we have three different ways, really, now. You could check out the show. We record it live on Facebook. Um, Neil McDonald uh, is how you find me on Facebook. My, my page is always public, so you don't need to friend me to check it out. But also, it's available on YouTube. All of our episodes are available on YouTube. We're closing in on 130 episodes now. And uh, I just started uh, since like May or so, um, making it available as a podcast. Um, so you can find the Beatball Blues show through Apple Pod or Google, Amazon, Spotify, uh, the main places you can find it, though. So we're a little bit everywhere now, Gray. We're blowing up. <laughs> yeah spreading those wings that's awesome <laughs> and uh, I'll include a link to that show you know the YouTube channel and the uh, podcast info in the show notes for this episode as well for anyone who's interested thank you sir appreciate it absolutely alright well again uh, we've been visiting with Neil Dog, Neil McDonald uh, the Hall of Famer and uh, Demetris Morrow aka Demo here on Ice Free Sports, and I really appreciate you guys taking the time to do this, and thanks so much for your expertise and passion, as always. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
To hear more episodes of the Eyes Free Sports podcast and to subscribe, search for Eyes Free Sports on your favorite podcast platform or visit eyesfreesports.com. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports.